You are listening to episode 36 of the EU Startups Podcast. Today's guest is David Murtaker, the founder and CEO of Sender, a German unicorn and Europe's number one digital freight forwarder. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the EU Startups Podcast. Before we jump into the interview with today's guest, I'm excited to introduce our podcast sponsor. This episode of the EU Startups Podcast is brought to you by Vanta, helping you scale security practices and automate compliance for the industry's most sought-after standards. To close and grow major customers, you have to demonstrate trust. But providing your security and compliance can be time-consuming tedious and expensive, especially for startups, unless you use Vanta. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for the most thought-after compliance standards like SOC2 and ISO 27001 and gets you audit-ready in weeks instead of months. With Vanta, you get up to 400 hours of your time back and reach up to 85% in cost savings. And for a limited time, EU Startups listeners get $1,000 off Vanta. Just go to vanta.com forward slash EU Startups without a dash to get started. So today I'm excited to welcome David Notaker, the founder and CEO of Sender, for an interview as part of the EU Startups podcast. Founded in 2015 and headquartered in Berlin, Sender today is Europe's number one digital freight forwarding platform for full truckloads. By linking large commercial shippers with small freight carriers through its in-house developed platform, Sender provides a new level of automation, transparency and efficiency to Europe's 300 billion road freight market. David, welcome to the EU Startups podcast and thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, Thomas, for having me. I'm very excited to be here today. Awesome. So let's start at the very beginning. Um, how did you and your co-founders come up with the idea for Sender? And what is the mission of the company? So I started working on the concept of Sender during an MBA. when I was uh, in a group teamwork and we had to solve a problem for the founder of BlaBlaCar and came to class and asked us to identify business models that could complement the ride-sharing model that he was developing. This was 2014. I took mm -hmm. that idea throughout the entire MBA. And after graduating in 2015, I managed to convince one of my classmates to execute on this perfect idea that we thought we had back then. And this is when I moved to Berlin with Nikki, my first co-founder. And after almost a year of uh, trying to find product market fit, or more specifically find the first paying customers, we realized that we had zero revenue and that our business model was clearly not as perfect as we thought when we were um, completing our MBA. And then, yeah, a pretty tricky phase of my life started. Uh, first, my first co-founder uh, said he would leave the company. Then I almost lost... Uh, an angel investor, but luckily at the end of 2016, things turned to the better. I found or refound an angel investor and two uh, new co-founder, Nico and Julius, and with the two of them, then pivoted into 
what Sunday is today. And I think you described it pretty well in your introduction. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And um, did you always see yourself as an entrepreneur or did the entrepreneurial spark just catch you at some point and Sender was then your first venture? It was my first real venture. I had mm -hmm. a small startup in Switzerland where I grew up with my younger brother delivering fruits and vegetables mostly to um, offices. But I was more of a toy startup. Um, but I never really had the plan. At least I, I was not conscious about that. Now looking back um, and realizing that most of my family, my brothers uh, and my parents all have a company or started a company, I realized that probably this is something that Yeah, uh, my father, who is an entrepreneur, um, I, yeah, spread it, I planted a seed that at a certain point then came out and uh, pushed me into this direction. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So uh, starting companies is hard. Um, what have been some of the biggest entrepreneurial challenges that you faced so far since starting Sender and how did you overcome them? Founding A company is a bit like a roller coaster. You have moments where you think you're the coolest entrepreneur ever and other moments that might follow that first moment a few minutes later where you ask yourself, why the hell are you doing what you're doing? And I had these moments multiple times in, uh, let's say, my founder career. And the first time I really had this was in 2015 when my first co-founder and I found an angel investor that was willing to invest a few hundred thousand in our old business model. And after signing a term sheet, literally a few minutes later, so a few minutes after I thought I am the coolest entrepreneur in Berlin, mm -hmm. he told me that he would be leaving Sender. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, he had good reasons and I fully understood and supported that. But I also understood that with him leaving, um, And without sharing this news with the angel investor, we would also lose the investment and therefore would have to file for bankruptcy. Um, uh, and this was one of the toughest moments where literally from one moment to another, the feelings <laughs> went to the opposite. And uh, uh, yeah, uh, just one example of uh, this roller coaster that uh, many entrepreneurs go through. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, now we talked a bit about the downside uh, and the risks, um, but Sender was then able to raise over 250 million in funding um, and you've been growing a very international team over the years. So what have been some of your proudest moments so far on this entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, also here, the highs are high, the lows are low, but a few highs that I probably will never forget. There are multiple ones. Um, maybe two I want to uh, mention. The first one is when after, I think it was our Series B fundraise, um, my co-founders and I were quite exhausted, just wanted to get some rest because it's a long process, as uh, yeah, you probably know, and then got back to the office just to pick up a few things. And we walked up the staircase and suddenly I was okay, feeling that there was something going on. And when we walked into our that's back then office, we had the entire company waiting for us. And when we opened the door, uh, there was a big round of applause. We were walking in, there's a big party music and all recognizing. And this was one of those moments where yeah, there's this, uh, the feelings were high. Mm -hmm. across the company that had a special meaning and therefore has a special place in, in my memory. And the second uh, highlight 
is uh, probably when um, uh, we closed our last Send of Summer camp where we invited all of our employees, 808 people, to spend a couple of days together to connect. And um, uh, the, let's say, closing session and the the energy, the emotions that I felt uh, when they are closing last summer camp were also truly special and something that I will probably not forget. Mm-hmm. Exciting. And so let's look a bit into the shipping and freight market. Um, it's imperative to society as a whole. Um, and what are the inherent challenges in that market uh, at the moment or historically? And how does Sender address those challenges? Thomas, do you know what the most transported good on trucks is? Any idea? I don't know. Um, uh, gas? No. I don't know. Almost. Very good. Yeah. Very close. It's air. Oh, wow. And, okay. And, and, and an interesting fact is that one third, so every third truck that you see on the highway travels completely empty. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of inefficiency, a lot of waste in um, this industry. And I think this one fact shows the opportunity that uh, we have in front of us, data, technology can solve a lot of these inefficiencies. Um, uh, for example, uh, reduce empty kilometers to reduce the transportation of this air, this empty legs. Um, uh, data can help us um, uh, also from a pricing perspective, identify what is the right match. Um, but this is just a few of the highlights that we're already able to execute on today. But um, when we look at the future of this industry, I'm even more excited because there's a lot of change that will happen and that will require a lot of big players mm-hmm. to fundamentally reinvent their business model. Let me quickly share with you an example of, of what I mean with this. If you join me quickly on a time machine and come with me into a future where autonomous trucks can travel from warehouse to warehouse, passing by schools with more kids. It doesn't matter whether you think it's in 20, 30, 40 years. But in this future, something very interesting um, will happen. Today, 70% of all trucks are owned by companies with fewer than 10 trucks. I want to repeat that. 70% of all the trucks that you see in the highway belong to very small companies. Mm -hmm. And in the future that I just described, these companies might lose their reason to exist. Why? Because they won't be able to buy a truck. The property of an autonomous truck will say either with the manufacturer or the operator. Imagine if the truck has an accident, definitely not the small family-owned trucking company that is responsible. Secondly, these small trucking companies won't have to hire and manage a driver, the biggest value add today. And thirdly, they won't be able to optimize cost. It's a high-tech electrical machine and changing oil at your neighbor shop to save some money is not any longer possible. So the 70, potentially even 80% of the market, these small customers of truck manufacturers or a few other providers would have to reinvent themselves and uh, find a different role. But this also means that companies uh, that manufacture trucks such as Scania, one of our largest investors, have to fundamentally reinvent the business model because in that future, 
they most likely will have different customers and have a different monetization model than the one they have today. And while this future of autonomous trucks might look very far and down the road, some of this change is already happening today. Electric trucks are hitting the road this year. Next year, we're going to see a major pickup of also electric uh, trucks. And if you know that electric trucks trucks cost four to five times as much as a diesel truck, hmm. five times more than a traditional truck. And you know that 70% of the trucks are owned by small companies with fewer than 10 trucks. Then you might ask yourself, why would a small company with four or five trucks, trucks buy a fifth or sixth one that costs more than an entire fleet without knowing what is the residual value? What is the true operating cost of such a new truck? And is anyone paying a premium for me driving green? And this is already today. I'm taking now truck manufacturers, one example, a first step towards a new business model um, that they have to invent, potentially going more into the paper use rather than selling or leasing. Um, and this is transformation. This change is already happening today. And this is something that I think is super exciting. I think that sender and I as an individual and employee of sender can really shape how this transformation uh, will come along. Mm -hmm. Exciting. Okay. So many changes uh, and many uh, opportunities uh, are to come in that market. That sounds very interesting. And let's switch back a bit um, to um, the entrepreneurial mindset. And we have many uh, first-time founders uh, and aspiring founders who are listening to this podcast. And do you have some top tips in mind, um, uh, some pieces of startup advice that you can give um, to young entrepreneurs uh, and uh, for achieving startup success? Like what, what has, that, has helped you on your journey? Maybe two tips. The mm -hmm. first one is around finding product market fit, finding a product, a solution, a service that someone really needs and is willing to pay for is probably one of the most difficult parts in being an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And to get there, to find this product market fit, and this is actually the one thing in maybe in the future that I'm a bit afraid of if I would start another company to really go through that painful process. But one way to reduce the risk of failing is to openly discuss what your product is, what your service is, get feedback, interact as quickly as possible with potential customers of, uh, of your service. I uh, started doing some angel investing and I still hear from a lot of founders that um, pitch to me um, or the first time I meet them, that they cannot disclose fully what they're working on or they feel uncomfortable sharing certain type of information related to what they're building, the product they're building. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I hear this, I quickly realize that they will struggle much more uh, to find this product market fit. So my advice to the entrepreneurs listening to this podcast is try to get as much feedback as quickly as possible from whoever you can, ideally your potential customers. And I didn't listen. That's why <laughs> when I started Sender 1.0, after one year, we still had zero customers. And we mm -hmm. thought that the initial idea was the right one and didn't yeah, change it and evolve it quickly enough based on the feedback we um, were receiving. Mm -hmm. um, the second maybe piece of advice 
and a learning that I would like to share is that when you find product market fit and when you start scaling your organization, adding people to the organization, you add a lot of complexity, especially when you double the size of the organization. And when that happens, you have to redesign the org structure, meaning that the bigger you get, the more focused teams have to get, the more focused responsibility leaders have to um, um, have. And from my experience, it's always painful to go through this because it means change for a lot of people that you care about, that work side to side with you, that suddenly have maybe less responsibility or more focused responsibility. And going through that change is extremely painful as well. So my piece of advice, be aware that this change will come. Try to give C-level titles immediately too quickly, as maybe you always have to for the next phase of growth when you double organization, have to someone hire someone and more senior and be prepared to address also these organizational changes. This is also something I completely underestimated and completely undervalued in terms of what it meant every time I went through such a change. I thought, okay, now this is the last time, at least for the next few years. And then six, 12 months later, again, having to redefine some parts of the org structure, having to talk to some of my colleagues and friends that maybe they're not any longer the right individual for that role and potentially having to take over a different role, more focused role. And this is something that I wish I knew that was going to be quite painful and so repetitive um, as uh, as we scale organization. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Let's maybe stay uh, with the topic of team and people um, for a moment, because I think it's a very important one. Um, how do you make sure um, to keep your fast growing international team uh, always informed and um, motivated and, and up to date? Um, like, Uh, are there any like m- manager traits that you learned along the way and that helped you in scaling the team? Um, or um, yeah, how, how do you approach team culture and um, and team um, uh, team motivation at Sender? Also another very good question, Thomas. Okay. I think that keeping the DNA and keeping the foundation of your culture as you scale is a huge challenge. And also it's one of the things I was most afraid of three years ago when we started scaling the organization from back then, more or less 100 people to now um, 1,000 people. And there are a couple of things that I believe work pretty well for Sandra that I would like to share. First thing that works really well is how you welcome and onboard new employees. At Zenda, we have the what we call a Send Academy, which is a one-week onboarding program where every employee goes through a standard process. Doesn't sound fun, but it's a lot of fun because you learn everything from the founding story to how our product really works with the product team, with the ability to test the tribe, to understanding why we have to find certain values, what the behaviors are, how we live them. And this also allows people that are part of this monthly training academy to already start building a community across the offices and start building that connection beyond the team they will be working on. The second thing I'm very proud of, and I already mentioned that earlier, is our Sender Summer Camp, 
We did this now for five years. We skipped one year because of Corona, where we bring everyone from the 11 offices that we have together in one place for a couple of days. And I think this is extremely important, not only to talk about strategy, define the priorities, and also have discussions on compromises, but also really to build this culture to understand that each and every one within Sender is part of a big team, something bigger, and having everyone together to connect and live our values um, is extremely powerful to keep this one identity that always has different flavors. Our Spanish colleagues have a different, uh, let's say, way of living some values than maybe our Polish colleagues, but the fundamentals, the DNA, the building blocks of our culture, our values are the same. And with these two um, uh, uh, ways, I think we've done a pretty good job in keeping the company uh, based on a clear DNA that we have developed uh, or defined many years ago and developed over the years. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay, uh, one quick follow-up question there. Um regarding um, how and where to work. Uh, I mean, during COVID, you just mentioned it, uh, everyone um, was starting to work differently and uh, there was not happening a lot uh, in offices in person. Now it goes a bit more back to in-person interactions. Um, what is Sender's um, approach there um, when it comes to uh, flexible and remote uh, work setups? We had many discussions within Sanda exactly on this topic. And one thing I learned before giving you the answer how we live it is that it's a bit like a religion. Yeah? If you believe in one type of approach, it's very difficult um, for to get behind a slightly different approach or a different yeah, approach to work working. At Sanda, we value very much this human connection, this human exchange. Mm -hmm. This is why we do the academy. That's why we do the summer camp. And this is why for us, it's extremely important to keep living that. So our standard work policy is three days in the office mm -hmm. and to remote. We, of course, have certain groups of employees that either travel a lot or need a little bit of more quietness that have more flexibility. Um, but we said that three days in an office is extremely important to continue to live our culture. Um, and develop our culture. The one fear I have with a fully remote setup is that when you miss this human connection, especially when you're a thousand people or more, working for a company becomes something that is more transactional and less emotional. At the end of the day, I think someone works, including myself, for three reasons. The three main reasons why, I work or why one works for a company. One is the vision, mission, and the impact. And I would say scale-ups and tech startups are able to highlight that very clearly. The second um, uh, big reason why um, a person works for a company is the team they have to work with. Mm -hmm. yeah, this human connection, the fun, the having the sense of belonging to someone, something. And the third reason is working for a manager, typically a boss, from who you can learn uh, and develop grow professionally. And I think all of these, especially the second two, are things that if you're in a fully remote setup and we have no human interaction, is something that is very difficult to build. It's uh, You potentially get into a position where you don't have an attachment to your team, an attachment to your 
um, uh, to your boss, and then you could potentially just close the computer of one employer and open the computer of another employer the following day, and um, uh, yeah, continue to do exactly the same without feeling any difference. And this is why we said at Sender, um, uh, we embrace remote work, which works. And if you would have asked me three or four years ago, we would have probably given you a different answer than today. It works to mm -hmm. work remotely. But if you want to build the culture that we have uh, developed here, keep building the culture and living the culture that we've built here at Sender, um, we believe that for a majority of our employees, it's best to come together and connect um, a couple of days per week uh, to really yeah, live our culture, learn from each other and engage with each other and build, build, develop this sense of belonging. Makes sense. Okay, David. So as a final question, um, I would like to ask you, I assume that some of uh, our listeners um, would be interested in joining uh, the sender journey and to become part of uh, your team somehow. So I would be curious, like in which areas are you planning um, to hire uh, strongly uh, in the near future? And what is the best way uh, for potential candidate candidates um, to uh, reach out to sender and to apply? Absolutely. So we are hiring across all the 11 offices mm -hmm. in, I would say, almost all the different business areas that we have. A focus will uh, is still very much on um, the tech, which for us includes the product manager side, the data, data engineering side, and the more engineering side. Um, so here we are hiring everywhere. Also in Barcelona, for example, where we have a tech hub, um, where we also have engineers um, uh, placed. Um, and I, that's one area. Second area that is very dear to me is um, looking for some rockstar founder associates. So individuals that would uh, work in my team in uh, a daily exchange with me, working on the things that uh, keep me busy every single day from managing investors to special projects such as the summer camp, which is something that I also lead. Um, and here we still have a few positions open as well. If anyone is interested in learning more about Sender and the positions that we have open, um, I would recommend to check our website, sender.com slash careers. Um, we have a nice short video that shows you a little bit Not only how much we love orange as a color, but also how it feels like joining the sender team. And then you have um, a link to all the open positions where you can see what potentially fits for you. Um, on our website and also on YouTube, we also interviewed a number of different people, I think around 15, 20 people from different offices in different parts of the organization, sharing a little bit how it is working in that position and working for Sender. So if someone is really eager to go more into detail and if you're really exploring the opportunity of Sender, I would recommend to do that. Check out some of this content. It will help you better understand whether there is a good match. Perfect. Thank you so much, David, for your time. Uh, it was interesting to learn more about Sender and your entrepreneurial journey. Uh, at EU Startups, we will definitely continue to follow what you guys and girls are building there. It's super exciting. Um, a, a European uh, scale-up um, with, with um, global potential. So uh, congratulations on the success so far and um, let's catch up soon. Thank you so much and speak to you soon. Thank you. Bye.